I want to send a shout out to Vanessa Palace. Probably the most unexpected friendship I've ever had. More than any one person, it is you, Vanessa, that reminds me of how many awesome women I've always had in my life. I know whatever rough go you're having right now is tough. But I do want to say I'm thinking of you often. I'll talk to you soon. I miss you. I love you. I love you, man. My name is Eli. Thank you for listening. Let's get started. And here we go. So, there was a bit of a backlash to me doing an episode about superhero movies last season. And I understand to a certain extent, given that it's covered so much in areas like YouTube and Reddit and Facebook and whatever fuck else social media thing you have. But again, one has to realize how much superhero movies drive pop culture. And because this is a film geeky kind of podcast, it would just be weird to cover the things that I want to cover involving movies and just to not include superhero films, given how many of them come out each year in a podcast that goes over the year in review should be weird. I can't help but to notice the trendy kind of responses that happened for some of the superhero movies that came out last year. 2022 was the year where superhero movies kind of got ultra-polarizing in a strange way. I think we as filmgoers may be a little lost on what we want from these fucking things anymore. I figured it would be best to talk to someone who's about as cynical as this particular genre. As anybody that I know, one of my best friends in the entire universe, Christian Charles Snook. Or at least I think that's his middle name. I might have that wrong. Anyway, he's someone who's completely on the fence. He's completely in the gray area. And he's cynical as fuck for these fucking superhero movies. And if anybody can give me a fair and balanced assessment about this genre, it's him. He doesn't have any bias towards DC or Marvel or any particular superhero or anything like that. He's a perfect guy to talk to at this particular time. And plus, he's been bugging me about coming on, so I might as well talk to him. I am here with a dear friend of mine, one of God's special creations. He used to work at RV8 with me back in the day. He was a staff lead. He had a tyrannical rule, but we came to be friends, close friends soon after. The great and powerful Christian Snook. Um, how are you doing today, sir? Doing good. Doing real good. Happy, happy to be here. Uh, felt like this is a little bit of a long time coming. Uh, been eager to find myself in this situation, uh, you know, proverbially sitting across from you having this uh, interaction because God knows we've had a million of these over the years. One but uh, One yeah, million. to finally put it in the in the in the ether, you know, what I mean, recorded. It. It's it's forever. So just uh, just happy to be here, man. Happy to be here. Christian usually goes and sees these superhero movies. And, I mean, I always get a text, and it's usually like, oh, what the fuck, or that was fantastic. And we end up having conversations like these whenever these superhero movies come out. So I thought for the superhero roundup, I'd bring him in. And, um, yeah, we're just going to go over some stuff here. Like, I don't know if we want to do reviews of these movies like we did with Xavier because Xavier's comic book guy and what I kind of wanted to get was like a comic book. Like, is this shit real? Like, did they fuck up here? You know what I mean? But with this, I just kind of want to make observations on these movies because the thing with superhero movies and the thing about making a separate episode for them is that they drive pop culture essentially like it's the entirety of the pop culture of the movie business is what these things represent or how good or bad they are. Um, as of right now, there is a movie out there called the flash, which is bombing terribly. 
And it's pretty much all anybody can talk about. If you read the trades, it's the number one topic leading every fucking day, at least until Indiana Jones comes out. And I don't know. When it came to these movies from last year, there was a lot said as far as the reviews of them. But I just wanted to make some observations here personally that are just for me. And maybe maybe from you too as well, Christian. In March of last year, a movie came out called The Batman. Why did you write me? What do you mean? All those cards. I told you. We've been doing this together. You're part of this. We didn't do anything together. We did. What did we just do? I asked you to bring him in the light, and you did. We're such a good team. We're not a team. I never could have gotten him out of there. I'm not physical. My strength is up here. I mean, I... I had all the pieces, I had the answers, but I didn't know how to make them listen. You gave me that. I gave you nothing. You showed me what was possible. You showed me all it takes is fear and a little focused violence. You inspired me. Out of your goddamn mind. What? And it was a very good movie. I think we can agree on that, right? That it was very good, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Very good is you know, comfortable rating for me. And just, just for like a little preface, this for me, my own rating system happens with, it goes from solid is in that. Like when you think, when you think of ratings, you usually get a number thrown at you. It's like a one through 10 scale and everybody sort of applies, you know, their own sort of personal bias within that scale. But for me, a solid is in the five range, um, decent to good. That's six, maybe seven, very good is in that eight great is that nine and 10 is like an all-timer so the batman to me using that scale now that it's out there batman's in that solid eight range for me so very good movie not quite great but very good indeed i agree with this and i kind of have a similar scale but i only go up to five stars five stars means you're an american classic we should put your fucking movie in the smithsonian for it to be preserved over time okay i would put batman at a solid three and a half and people think i'm shitting on it when i say that but no and um the reason why i can't go anything further is because it is a Batman story that hits a lot of points that other Batman stories have. And I'm starting to wonder, I guess my first observation, what can we do with this fucking character that we haven't done already? You know what I mean? The biggest thing that I think that we're missing on lately, and this might sort of bridge to sort of our other conversation around these superhero movies is what are we doing with our villains? And, and I think what's happening is, is we're putting so much focus on our protagonists, and you know, rightfully so, that it almost feels like we're forgetting to write deep, complex, complicated antagonists sort of in parallel with our heroes. And, and I think right now is a lot of these movies and maybe even the Batman, because one of my biggest complaints about the Batman is Paul Dano is criminally underused. That man has five quality screen minutes in a movie that is already, in my opinion, too long. That movie runs like, what, 235, 240? And it's like, we have somebody who's playing the Riddler who, you know, it's our second iteration of it. We obviously have Jim Carrey's who, you know, Jim Carrey being the master of over the top. This is obviously a different take, but we didn't get any sense of you know who this character is and by the time we sort of build up to it we're already moving on we've already moved on to the final act which is you know over the top and i think actually weighs the movie down in the long run but i think the issue right now and the batman suffers from this as well is what are we doing with our villains well hold we have on. A villain i think we have a villain issue hold on but this is an origin story so the villain shouldn't really be that dude to share screen time with with the hero if we're telling the story of the hero and the batman is very much an origin story this is him 
two years in to being Batman. So it's not like we need to know who the Riddler is. He's just a fucking problem that we got to deal with. You know what I mean? But, like, but if it's an origin story, like we're not telling the origin. I'm not even sure. And I'm pulling off memory here. I'm not even sure the Batman does a flashback to Bruce's parents dying. No. So I, th- I mean, I we think yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you know Warner Brothers came out and the director came out and said pretty explicitly like, "Hey, this isn't going to be. We're just going to get right." And I think this iteration of the Batman is good, and I like Robert Pattinson. And I think I've told you, I told you this a few years ago. I think we're slowly moving into the Robert Pattinson era. I think this man's going to do some big things. Damn right. Over the course of his career, and I think. A lot of people in the early days kind of kind of put him in a box with Twilight and all that. Man, motherfuckers like, are still out here mentioning Twilight when they which is a, Robert Which Pattinson. is absurd. I mean, when I name drop Robert Pattinson, I have people coming up to me being like, oh, you mean the guy from Harry Potter? And I'm like, what? Wait, wait, wait. The one movie he did there? Wait. And his two minutes of screen time and the fact that he dies? The fuck? Yeah. So I'm just like, man, like people... Don't be sleeping on Robin Pattinson. I'm telling you, like, this is going to be like, we're looking for a new young star. I think Hollywood's looking for the next round of guys. And I think he's going to be among them. I do. I'm, 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 I'm of that opinion. So this is a, a part that I wanted to introduce, especially when it came to superhero roundups called I Got Questions. I have questions for you. I got questions in terms of like the things that I've heard people say in conversations about these movies, every movie that we're going to cover here. Okay. The question I have when it comes to the Batman is, is this the best version of the Batman character that's ever been put to screen? And I, and I, I asked that with a full emphasis on him being a detective more than he ever was in any other iteration of the film. Because the Dark Knight juxtaposition is just so fucking insane to me. I, I You guys are like, you guys out there saying that the Batman is better than the Dark Knight. Y'all are 12 years old, okay? Like, you guys don't know what it was like 15 years ago to feel the Dark Knight in IMAX. I yeah, feel and for sorry the record, for like anybody that's saying that, that's some revisionist trash. Like I ain't trying to hear not even a lick. Not a fucking centimeter uh, of sound. No. no. But, but it's the quickest way to get dismissed in any sort of conversation around movies. Oh, having that opinion, one of the, the fastest way. is to say that. But I gotta say, there is a point to saying that, like in the comics, it's detective more than it is bad badass, and that's kind of what we get here in terms of not Bruce Wayne, but the Batman is the Batman, the best version of what this character is on screen. Now we're using the word best. And I think that is dangerous language here. I think maybe the question is more, is this the most accurate representation of that specific, um, trait that bruce wayne has as the detective then i think the short answer is yes now i've seen and read enough people and enough conversations about you know oh they finally made batman detective yada 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 and i'm like okay yeah man like i don't want to pretend like there wasn't moments in those movies where he's doing the same stuff he's a detective in those i mean the entire act two of the Dark Knight is Bruce being a detective. Mm. He is trying to chase down the Joker and he's sort of like always a step behind him. And and, and it's just, I think the way that Nolan shoots his movies, his movies are, are pretty quick as far as moving from sequence to sequence that it doesn't really feel like it's like it's rooted in who the character is as a detective, but it's still there. Like those elements are still present. They're there. Controversial opinion. I, I appreciate Christian Bale as much as the next man. He's the best actor ever to play Batman, but his Batman was just taking fucking L's left and right. And all that I've gotten from this character cinematically is uh, like mostly negative stuff. The Pattinson Batman is the guy who actually like looks like a winner as opposed to Keaton's Batman who was really outnumbered by Nicholson's Joker and ultimately ended up looking okay. 
All right. Then you had Kilmer, who needed help with Robin. Then you had Clooney, who was just a joke in general. Nipples on the fucking bat suit. Then you had Bale, who gets his ass whooped by Bane. He loses in the Dark Knight to the Joker, even though the Joker's locked up. He loses because he breaks his own moral code. And then you have, you know, I'm too old for this shit, Ben Affleck. I'm super done with, like, nothing else matters fucking Batman. And, like, this version of Batman, I'm like, okay, at the very least, he actually wins. You know what I mean? I'm starting to see now. I have had an effect here. But not the one I intended. In May, we got the first movie of the summer, and it was called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I'm sorry, Stephen. I hope you understand. The greatest threat to our universe. Is you. The thing about Doctor Strange that stood out to me was the fucking hype train that came with that trailer. When that trailer hit and Patrick Stewart's voice came across the fucking mic, everybody that I was seeing in the theater went nutso because it's one of those identifiable voices. We should tell him the truth. Oh! oh Okay, I don't know if you guys heard what I heard, but I'm pretty sure I just heard Patrick Stewart. When I think of that movie, I just think of a movie that didn't deliver on like nine different things that that awesome trailer promised. And although it was fine, it had almost built expectations that it couldn't live up to do you think so yeah i do what happens is is and i think it's what's happening with these trailers because i have three or four more examples of this and I'll, I'll, and I'll reserve them for now is these trailers build us up into a certain direction but then we get into the movie and the movie goes in a complete opposite direction like these trailers are creating this vibe, this sense, this sense of scale, the emotion, all the things that are with it. We get Patrick Stewart's voice on the line. We're so over the top excited to see him because we've grown up with him. You know, the first X-Men is like, what, 99 or something like that, 2000, like really early. So in early in the days of these superhero films and... Well, you know what, though, before that even happened and it like slipped my mind because... They had this um, this Marvel, not Marvel, but like this Disney showcase of the things that were coming in the future after yep. Yep. after uh, Endgame, and they had WandaVision come out, and WandaVision teased Doctor Strange. Yep. And then after that, like with the addition of Sam Raimi, it became something different, and Raimi comes out and he's like. This will be the first MCU horror movie. And I'm like, okay, how the fuck does that look? Yeah, and it's like, it's just absurd to even say that on his part because there's no shot that Disney is over here penciling Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness being like, oh, we got a horror movie, you know, we're thinking March-ish, you know, for this, or maybe May, you know, for this horror movie. Like, not happening. PG-13. Yeah, it's you know not a I mean? horror movie. There's nothing horror movie about it. I don't give a shit if there's zombie fucking Stephen Strange in it. It's not doesn't make it a damn horror movie. And I think the biggest issue with the movie itself, even apart from how the trailers tried to tried to paint what it was going to be, is it has the same fucking issue that all these movies has that I just got done talking about. The Batman is like it has a villain issue, and it's like I know. You know, Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff is supposed to be the bad guy here. 
and they just gave us WandaVision that's sort of like building in that direction, sort of. I mean, they spent eight well, episodes building that character arc trying, for this movie. Trying to make her a bad guy, and it just did not land. It does not land. She's not compelling in the villain role. And fucking frankly, it was just like, I'm tired of hearing about her non-kids. Like that was so exhaustive as a as an audience that I'm just like, bitch, these ain't your children. Those ain't yours. Your man's dead. He got his fucking head smashed. Got his crystal ripped out, and that's a wrap. A mother's pain. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I, I and I appreciate that, but to make her the central villain, and I also think we're running into an issue with these Marvel movies that I think a little bit of the Star Wars franchise has run into is we have no sense of power. We have no sense of power level, right? This is turning into like a Dragon Ball Z situation where it's just like every episode is the next most powerful, but we have no frame of reference. Like we're supposed to just know that Wanda Maximoff is the most powerful in the entire Marvelverse, right? And I'm like, okay, but what does that look like? Is she 10 degrees more powerful than Stephen Strange? Is she 100 more degrees? Like, where does this all fit? I mean, they it's spent, just, they spent just, the entirety of WandaVision. She built an entire civilization from her mind. She made a pocket universe because she was mad. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. Because she was just like, she had some emotional shit that she was going through. Like, I, I get it. Mother's pain. But even that doesn't give us a true sense of the scale. Because, like, going back to Endgame, you know, Thanos hits her with, I don't even know who you are. Right. Right? And, like, and like how do you break out of that out of that shell? And, frankly, the character in and of itself just isn't that compelling. Right? Like, I'm just, I know they spent their own individual, like, miniseries on her to really try to develop the character. <clears throat> and at the end of that miniseries, I'm sitting here as, like, why, why is Vision still the most complex character in this story and he's in it for like not even half you know i mean why is paul bettany's vision still the most like compelling on-screen presence I, I, and it's not even his show i vehemently disagree with with this aspect of things because like paul bettany's playing a robot that's learning how to be human and you can really like do a lot with that Sure. I do think at the end of the day, WandaVision was her gradually becoming more insane because of her grief. And I'm just saying that it does translate to what she is in Doctor Strange. And here I am. 100%. Here I am 100%. defending this movie that I kind of don't like, but it's for reasons other than that. That thing they got completely fucking right. She is not only the best part about this movie she's no. one of the more fleshed out characters no of hard, this fucking avengers thingy hard disagree i'm gonna go ahead and stop you right there because that's cap like don't get me wrong i i enjoy elizabeth olsen she's talented she's great but she is not villain material she ain't got it and i don't give a rat's ass how much time we spend in wandavision with her creating her little fake village or whatever the hell it is to try to make her the bad guy i'm not here christian for it. pocket it land it's, it's called it a pocket land. universe my guy i don't give a damn if it, i don't give a damn what's in her pocket it just didn't land and then on top of it we throw in a child star right we have this america chavez character who is just oh God. annoying oh, and is Christ. just weighing the story down. And it's just like, why does it feel like, like Dr. Strange is a puppy dog on a leash following her story now? Because like, he kind of was. <laughs> it's exactly it. And so now I'm like, is this Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness? Or is this America Chavez in the multiverse of madness with Dr. Strange? Right? Because like, I'm, I'm uh, there's too much of this character there's too much of this character here that, and and i also again just loses any sense of like connection and development of stephen strange's character the possibility and he's just along for this ride and then ultimately is like 
oh, I'm going to guide this person into help defeating the super bad guy who's really not compelling as a bad guy. Yeah. And then roll, and then roll credits. I mean, like. I'm, I'm like, what are we doing? The the thing is, she might not be in any other Marvel. There's like, there's nowhere else to fit America Chavez. And I think that's one of those things that Marvel's just ignoring. Like, it's like that thing in the Eternals where there's a fucking Eternal coming out of the Indian Ocean that no other Marvel movie has acknowledged so far since Eternals right. came out. America Chavez's existence, I don't know where the fuck you can fit a person with the power to travel multiverse. I mean, unless you're going to do it with some Avenger shit, that's fine. But they created a character with an ability that was really convenient to tell for this particular story. And it's obvious like i'm not even gonna get into the illuminati thing because that was so poorly designed i could spend an entire hour on that anyway but yeah and it was such a it was such a like blip in the movie's overall story as it is that it's not even worth like getting hyped up about it because as quickly as it was there it was gone and it was the whole hype of the trailer and that i mean that kind of speaks to what these trailers represent as you were saying before i would just go as far as to say that like bringing Patrick Stewart back for that and making John Krasinski into Mr. Fantastic, you've kind of set a bar and you kind of have to follow it now because if these are two other individuals, then what the fuck are we doing? Like outside of James McAvoy playing Professor X, which would also make sense. But now you got to do Krasinski because you've already teased it. Like don't fucking don't and, and the give thing me a is laugh. too is he looks the part he looks good yeah right it's yeah. like damn it like you just put him in the suit and it's like the suit fits you know what i mean it's like <laughs> god damn it and it's like it's not like that i don't like john krasinski i think he's great but at the same time i think his body of work is small enough that i think that him playing reed richards would be fine and like i said he looked the part but like you teased us and then it's easy to tease Patrick Stewart. He's played the character for years, yeah. two decades. Yeah. Right. So it's easy. It's easy to put him out there. Everybody loves him. The John, the John Krasinski choice, which was heavily speculated on who was going to be the guy. How do you come off that now going forward? Because we know the X-Men are coming. We know the mutants are coming. Well, allegedly. No, that, I don't even coming. fucking we, believe it. We, no. we know the Fantastic Fantastic Four is coming. They already hit us with the splash art, the logo, all that jazz. Fucking we know it's coming. Allegedly, like how listen, did, me, how listen. did they come off of John Krasinski <laughs> as Reed Richards? Now I don't know how they back out of that. I really don't. They shouldn't. Um, oh God, man, the that these these Comic Con announcements just really like warp our minds, man. They really fuck us up, and. I think, I mean, just to segue to the next film, because this was also a Comic-Con thing that fucked my mind up. There's Thor, Love and Thunder. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dead bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. They trotted out these Guardians of the Galaxy as if they were going to be this fucking important part of the film. And then a trailer told me that they were going to be. And I was like, oh shit, like the hype train hit me. And then they've got one fucking scene and it doesn't even play into the new Guardians film whatsoever. All that thing, that stuff that we built in Infinity War and Endgame involving the Guardians and Thor just didn't mean anything. And when I started thinking of Thor Love and Thunder, that's like one of the three or four missteps that that movie took. You know what I mean? Like, there was so much potential with that to be all time-ish. Yeah, the lineup is there. And that's the thing that kills me the most about Thor Love and Thunder is like, there is no shortage of talent in this movie. Like, we're not talking about just like, oh, pretty talented people. We're talking about some top end Oscar noms, Oscar winners. Two Oscar like, winners. Yeah, there's no shortage of talent in this movie. And I think I think one of the issues, what going back to the Batman and going back to um Strange. Doctor Strange, the multiverse madness, yeah. keeping on the same thread that I think the issue is is we have a bad guy problem 
And now this is a different Thor problem, 11, though. This is a this, different. This, this, is, a diff- this is definitely different. Oh so God. now we have Thor: Love and Thunder, and now we have an all-time great talent playing our villain. Great, but we just didn't write him any lines? Question mark. We just thought that maybe five words in three and a half minutes of screen time was enough to make this compelling? Question mark. What are we doing? But they did do what the are, like stylistically. Stylistically. Gore the Butcher is such a contrast from everything else going on in these Thor movies since Watiti took over that as a part of the trailer, we were like, look at this motherfucker here. Look, look at how, how good, he looks. good he looks, bro. Dude, he looks so I'm so excited. We get Christian Bale as a villain. Say less. They had a fucking say, say less than less. They had a fucking billboard point. of this thing on Sunset dude, Boulevard of, dude, of Bale. I'm sitting I'm sitting here thinking like if Tom Cruise has at least one bad guy credit to his name, like, and what he did with that, now I'm thinking, sitting here thinking to myself, Christian Bale can give us that level of compelling character. Of course. If given anything. Anything. Literally anything. Bro, like, he, he's a anything. top five. He's a top five MCU villain just from what he did here like just simply just by casting him like he just shows up and we kiss the ring because we know the talent and then when the movie gets there it's like you know what i mean yeah it's like man like i don't even know i don't need to this day i couldn't tell you what 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 they're trying to tell with that story i to this day i couldn't even tell you what our direction is the movie opens with a boring ass like sequence with like him breaking up with the guardians and all that and him like branching out on his own and and then natalie portman's whole development thing and it was just like nothing landed imagine writing a story that has some humor that has some emotional heartstrings level stuff has you know bad guy i'm trying to get angry whatever imagine trying to like pull on all these threads and not a single one of them lands. Imagine not one you know, aspect of this movie to me stuck the landing. It's so funny that you talk about sticking the landing because I got questions here. I have questions for you. Back in the day, there was this movie called Thor Ragnarok. Great! That everybody loved. And everybody loved it because the movie before that was one of the worst fucking superhero movies ever made. Thor 2... I forget what the fuck the subtitle was. Thor, the Dark World. Fucking garbage. We loved Thor Ragnarok because it was funny. And they had a ton of jokes. And then the trailer hits and they're telling jokes. And the movie hits and they're telling jokes. And motherfuckers are mad that they were telling jokes. Yep. And I'm like, these are comedies now, right? What the f- what did I miss here? Are they? Yes. Are they? Bro. Wait, wait, wait. When do, when do we, like, listen, don't, I, I, I'm with you to a degree. I think, and then just to be clear, Ragnarok to me is in is an S-tier movie for Marvel or superhero movies. Okay. Not just Marvel movies, superhero movies. Yeah. It's, it, it's one of five. It's on the Mount Rushmore. On the of superhero. I don't know about that, but okay. Yeah, Ragnarok is on there for me. Jesus. Okay. And I think part of the reason why is we have two Thor movies before it that are mostly hot garbage. Yeah. Just steaming trash. Mm-hmm. And and then you kind of like reflect on it like why? Like, why is this so bad? Like, why is this not working? Why is this character so stiff? Why are none of the fucking elements of the story sticking? Like the, the second one is just might be one of the worst Marvel movies or superhero movies of all time. But I'm sitting here like, why is this not working? It's not like they don't have talent. Kind of the same situation. They got talent. But I just don't know like what story they're trying to tell and how serious it's trying to take itself. And I think what makes Ragnarok so good and what puts it on that Mount Rushmore is it completely 180s on what it's been trying to do. And not only 180s and does something completely different completely subverts expectations in any way because nobody saw that movie coming okay. at the way that the way that it was made okay and then everything worked everything stuck the landing i mean this is a 10 out of 10 on the card for every element that they do okay we have a great villain uh-huh. we have a talented villain we have 
Chris Hemsworth reinventing a Thor character to be so much more than the just boring meathead character that he played in the first two movies. Uh-huh. We have side characters that are all winning. Mm-hmm. We have Mark Ruffalo finally getting legitimate screen time as the Hulk. Not Mark Ruffalo, not Bruce Banner, but really getting him as the Hulk and fleshing out what the Hulk is not just the rage beast and everything works. Okay. And it was so good from top to bottom. That movie is a perfect movie. And then you go into love and thunder and you're thinking like, okay, how do we follow this up? Good question. Uh-huh. Okay. We got Christian Bale. So we got talent. Okay. Stories, dog shit. The story, huh? Stories, dog shit. I mean, that's part of it. Let, let's, let's, the script is bad. Let's be like, honest everything, here. Let's be, Every, everything in that movie is let's bad. be honest here okay there's, the, there's nothing in that the, movie that works except for the six and a half minutes of christian bale on screen that is it i hear you that's it i hear you but the thing that really stuck out to me is that motherfuckers were mad that the jokes existed in the first place not that they were bad Listen, jokes not that they were unfunny but I, like oh they're telling too many jokes and i'm like I'm, motherfucker that's all I'm ragnarok did I know I'm guilty. I'm guilty of going into love and thunder Mm -hmm. and being like, okay, there's a lot of jokes here. Fine. We got some joke. We got some humor, some comedy. That's what TD style. That's his game. I get it. Yes. But it's all, it can't be literally 80% of the experience is just bullshit quips every five seconds. It just can't be. It just can't be. You can get away with it once. Right, but now that you make it the only shtick that the mo- like the movie has to offer, then now I'm just like, okay, like none of this is good, none of this is landing. It feels forced. Like we we developed this character to be more than just a meathead, and now we're just trying to hit him with like the quirky, quippy guy. I mean, wasn't that RDJ's character for all those years? Like, what are we doing? Like, I'm not mad that there's humor, and I'm not mad that it's comedy. It's a superhero PG-13 movie. I'm mad that the it was like the forefront of how we were going to write the characters. That's and it was just all bad. That's it was all bad. That's been apparent since Ragnarok. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes these geek fandoms like really get selective on what they want to be mad about. And in Thor, I understand the backlash for the Natalie Portman shit, which I'm not even going to get into right now because there was so much bullshit there. I'm not going to talk about the the use of Guns N' Roses to accentuate every goddamn scene for the same three songs that they use in every single movie for Guns N' Roses. All I'm saying is that this is a comedy. When they when 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 Russell Crowe blows off Thor's clothes and he's naked there and everybody faints, that is exactly well, what I'm expecting. I mean that 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 scene in particular, just so everybody that's listening is clear, that's so we can make sure that Chris Hemsworth lets everybody know yeah. that the TRT is yes these the, that the gear that the gear is you know doing its thing it's exactly. doing its job we need like, to know like I've been saucing for about six right. months now right it's like he don't get me wrong you still got to put the work in and he mm. put the work in this episode is brought to you by Boss of CMOS the number one CMOS brand in Washington State so what are the benefits of Irish CMOS. Often touted as a superfood, proponents of this algae claim it can strengthen immunity, improve digestion, and even produce glowing skin over time. Irish moss alone contains 92 of the 102 minerals that our bodies need in order to thrive. Boss of Sea Moss is a brand that incorporates Irish sea moss into things like face mask gels and bath bombs. They also have lemonades both in the original flavor and a new strawberry lemonade, as well as two original blends that you can put into smoothies of your own. The original 92 mineral formula and the herbal blend with all 102 minerals support black owned businesses. Check out Boss of CMOS at their website, bossofcmos.com. Again, that's Boss of CMOS, S-E-A-M-O-S-S dot com. All one word, by the way. The next movie I want to talk about is Black Adam. My son sacrificed his life to save me. These powers are not a gift, but a curse. Born 
out of rage. I gotta say, the thing with Dwayne Johnson is that um, I've never seen it. Like, he's a promotional machine, bro. Like, un- it's absurd. Like, unlike, like, I'd say probably Tom Cruise is the only person that really hits the fucking road for their films. And this man really, I, not before or since, has he promoted something as aggressively as Black Adam. Like, this was his baby okay but even still you cannot beat the ineptitude of the dceu and the one thing the one i just want to interrupt real quick let me interrupt real quick you know that sequence at the beginning of 300 right where they're talking about spartan culture and they're like they have to like figure out which babies are going to be like fit to like carry the legacy and be a warrior and like the like the malformed the ones with disabilities whatever they throw off the cliffside yeah yeah like if this is dwayne johnson's baby i'm not sure that this baby doesn't get thrown off the cliff i'm just saying <laughs> this baby has just, like three eyes I'm just, they're like what yeah the I'm, I'm just just putting that out just saying that's one of the interject sorry <laughs> go ahead and continue like old spartans he was inspected if he'd been small or puny or sickly or misshapen he would have been discarded sitting here and i'm watching the trailer and i'm like it looks iffy but if anybody can get like the reins on this dceu thing it's him and then you're watching it and it's making all of the same mistakes that every single one of these films fucking do it's just like the action is just no good there's nothing idiosyncratic about Black Adam, aside from the oh. fact that he's outright murdering people and he's supposed to be the hero. And it's just, I'm sitting there and I'm like, is there anything the DCEU can do that is correct? Because I oh. tend to think about the things that people like from the DCEU, like Man of Steel. And it's like, okay, Man of Steel was good, quite possibly, because we had nothing but dog shit before that outside of one Superman movie. And that's that's I think that's mostly fair. And I the whole DCU issue and Warner Brothers issue is almost too big to cover in any like but it's, five episodes. No, but it's crazy because when they do other franchises, they do it right. When right. it's when it's so when it's what it, is it when it's it, they have the presence of mind to release it in two movies instead of some three and a half hour thing that it would have had to have been. When it comes to stuff like Crazy Rich Asians or The Meg or Harry Potter, they've done all the right moves. What the fuck is it with this thing that not only do they make the wrong moves, they make the worst But choices. here's the deal. It's like they're not even alone in sort of the struggle of how to handle these superhero movie telling stories. Because if you look at Sony, if you go right across the street and you look at Sony, they have the same issue, right? The only good Sony superhero movies is the first two Spider-Mans, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. And the Spider-Verse movies, if you want to count those. That's animated. That's on a whole Whole different, different that's a whole different, like we're talking about live action, Mm -hmm. because don't get me wrong, Into the Spider-Verse, one of my all-time favorites. That's probably one of the top five animated films of all time. Ever. Ever, easily. And but with the live action stuff, they have the same issue. They have an issue where it's like they can't tell a coherent story to save their lives. But why they have and they have in their minds. I don't know if they have like I don't know if they have like their own script writers on fucking on on budget or whatever the hell it is on retainer. But all the stories are a mirror image of themselves. It's the same thing. The Venom Venom in Morbius is the same movie. It's the same sure. exact fucking movie. The only difference is, it's like Tom Hardy's generally likable and Jared Leto is an asshole. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's really the only difference. But it's like every time they tell a story, it's the same thing. The hero is fighting some copycat version of himself. Roll credits. And it's just like now you look at Black Adam, little bit of the same. You look at all of their iterations of all the movies that they try to create. And it's like a lot of the same. And I would say for Warner Brothers, I am of the opinion that the first Wonder Woman movie is a really, really good movie. Absolutely. And I think, and I think even if you strip out the superhero elements of that movie, if you just ground it in the World War One story that they're sort of telling around Wonder Woman, that in and of itself is a good story. 
Like they did so well with that, but that is the exception. Definitely not the role the rule. And Man of Steel, my favorite movie of anything Warner Brothers superhero by far. To me, the reason why it resonates so much for me is because we actually tell the story of a Superman that isn't the most boring, lame ass. I can do anything and everything I want. And I'm also a Boy Scout at the same time. I'm glad you mentioned that, bro, because the more I look at Black Adam, the more I'm realizing that the whole purpose is to be the antithesis of Superman. Yep. And I know they've said that pretty much. I'm just saying that the characters exist in the same frame like their yeah, powers absolutely. their powers everything yeah and it's like a, a straight mimic of each other and then they had to create some sort of moral separation between the two right we had to have black adam as this villain slash anti-hero and you had to have Cavill's sort he's of never a villain by the way never yeah well never I mean, never a true villain sure but the character's source material has them at way more villain more often yeah. than anti-hero. You know what I mean? But it was a perfect casting. I mean, it's I mean, I guess since it's Dwayne Johnson, he pretty much foot the bill for this damn thing. Yeah, like, like he, he really he forced went balls it to out. Happen. It's not like they were gonna cast anybody else, but he would have been a great balance to Henry Cavill's Superman. I, and I think it could have worked. And I think shit, Dwayne Johnson probably went into the Warner Brothers studio offices and said, hey, I'm gonna he probably sold it from that position. Like, hey, you guys have an issue, a power issue here, that Superman can do whatever he want, when he want, how he wants, and continually putting him across these animated, you know, bad guys, these antagonists, just isn't working anymore. And now here we are, we have somebody, a flesh and blood character, a human being that you can put across from, you can create these political dynamics or moral questions, all this type of stuff, political and it could have worked. Dynamics. But we just never got Man of Steel 2. We never got anything to connect these characters. And, it, and it's like Warner Brothers already knew, Hold on. probably halfway through shooting, that they're going to pull the plug on Black Adam and the whole DCU as we know it. We we got Man of Steel 2. It was called Batman versus Superman. That's official. I, okay? that, that's trash. Yeah. So I, I guess all I'm saying about Black Adam, when it comes down to it, is that there was such a lack of creativity from the jump like you can see it in the opening frame of the movie and i often think that bringing henry cavill back as they would have teased it was an exciting idea but you presented so little original thought into black adam i don't even think that would have worked like we would have well, liked to see it work because none of the mashup movies for dcu have worked at all yeah like some of the standalones have sort of survived i've kept their head above water if you will while the rest of them have all sunk to the bottom and have been trash so it's like i don't there's no way to trust they could write a coherent script that would have worked that would have created a compelling story and you're right the black adam movie is not only boring it is beating one tune the entire movie that movie is action from open to close and the whole like orange hue like we're in it's mexico city in hollywood like what are, come on what are we doing like this it's just like, well, like it just kills the vibe like fuck like can we can we get past that type of shit that i don't even know what the hell it's called but I'm over it. I'm so struck by the unoriginality of Black Adam because on the other side of the spectrum, there's fucking Wakanda forever. I am queen of the most powerful nation in the world. And my entire family is gone. Have I not given everything? I mean, I look at a movie like that that had so fucking much going against it it's like okay so not only did your lead pass away but you have to explain this new iteration of the black panther character and you have to introduce another character that will be important to future mcu movies and you still got to make the action what it is and keep you know true to the universe and i'm like okay I know that the MCU doesn't get it right 
all the fucking time, okay? But sometimes they'll get something so right that you're just kind of like, all right, how is this so hard to do for anybody else? And when I look at Black Panther 2, I'm just sitting here thinking the fact that this movie was even okay. Like, I'm, I'm saying I liked it better than a lot of other people who are, you know, just being contrarian, I believe, at this particular point. But I'm saying, like, the fact that this movie is not a complete thermonuclear disaster is one of the greatest achievements I've ever seen in this medium. And I say that without any hyperbole whatsoever. I completely agree. And I think when I got done watching that, I texted you immediately and I said, this movie is way better than it has any right to be, given all of the shit that has gone on. Disney should have cut a check to Ryan Coogler to whatever amount that he wanted. The fact that he was able to salvage this movie in the way that he was. He rewrote it. Yeah, and the way that it was like, he was able to stick the landing. It was a very good movie. That movie to me floats in that seven and a half to eight range on my scale. It's so crazy. So Sarah and I went and saw that together and we both knew going in that it was going to be rough. <laughs> like that, that is like one of those things. Emotional like, roller coaster. Why, yeah. Why do you even put yourself through this? Like, you know, like. I don't know. It's like, it's like you know it's going to be extremely emotional. You know it's going to be tough to watch. You know you're going to watch what should be a character that is not going to be there, right? Like it's like you can't under you can't underscore the presence missing with Chadwick's passing. But we went and saw it anyway, and it's like, did we do it to pay respects? Did we do it? Oh yeah. Closer? It was like all of those things, and we're still watching a movie of fiction. Okay, I'm not trying to directly compare, but it's kind of like The Dark Knight. A small tangent of The yes. Dark Knight was eulogizing a man who we knew to be a great actor and just seeing the final hurrah for him. Chadwick Boseman, for all intents and purposes, was in line to be like that Denzel uh, you know, like replacement for whenever that man decided to retire. In the creative way that they managed to eulogize that character without making the whole movie about that eulogizing, it's masterful fucking stuff here. And the thing that I've noticed in this year about movies like, like Guardians and all that, they really don't fuck with this multiverse concept. And I think the good ones are not really focusing on that. Everybody's doing some iteration of it, telling us in 18 different ways how time does or does not work. And it's like, it's everywhere I go and every sort of fantasy film that I'm watching that has any sort of connectivity to comic books in any way, shape or form, that's the story that's being told. Beyond the Spider-Verse, The Flash, anything that's Marvel right Yo. now. It's just like, all multiverse like everything everywhere all at once like we're not even just yeah. we're not even we're not even going straight to superheroes we're telling this kind of a thing in another way you know what i mean yeah absolutely and, and i'll be in a great way yeah. right in a completely unexpected way but it's still being told some version of it is still being told and it's kind of leaving us out here like damn like when are we gonna move this idea ahead no way home created a masterpiece of a film around the concept yeah but not everybody's going to be able to recreate that because they don't have the history to draw on the fact that they did it and not only did they do it but that movie is a perfect film and is probably the best superhero film of all time hmm. right and that might be some recency bias might be and i can acknowledge that and that's a fucking really really hard thing to determine because we and got, that's fair. We got films like you, Logan out here. We got films like the first eh, Blade Logan, out here. You know what Logan's, I mean? Logan's A tier for me. Logan has an issue. Ugh. Like we don't have to get like I don't want to go uh, too far into this. Let's not let's not uh, get me screaming because we only have a couple minutes left. Okay. Okay. okay listen. Moving on. I want to ask you one question to close. Okay. Fire away. What should these movies be? Ah. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I had a chance to think about this, you know, ever since you floated the idea to me about coming on and doing this with you and 
and really just wrap my head around like where do we go from here with the superhero genre in particular and to get to where i think i've gotten i had to really reflect on my own sort of gold standard of what are the best superhero movies out there what is i had to really establish my mount rushmore i had to put my dark knight on there i had to put my no way home on there i had to put the first avengers on there i had to put ragnarok on there i had to put winter soldier which some might argue is more a tier but to me winter soldier is probably my personal favorite of all the mcu films mount rushmore is only four I understand. That's why that. That's why that. That's why that. That's why that. Winter Soldier probably probably floats in that H. But when you look at those four or five movies and you say, "What did each one of these? What got them on the Mount Rushmore?" And I think to answer my own question when I was thinking about it was, I think they all did something that was so absurdly different within the genre that nobody thought possible. That it was this sort of like culmination of all these different factors that created these films the dark knight was like nobody thought a superhero film could be that dark you're saying to subvert expectations that's the that's the ultimate goal of what these movies should be i don't think it maybe should be the goal but i think about the best versions of these movies those four movies that i list or five movies all have something that everybody thought was not possible Nobody thought No Way Home was going to be able to bring all these people back and have it work. Ragnarok, nobody thought that that you could do what is essentially a comedy blending pop culture, music, all this stuff and have it work. Right. Like Avengers. Nobody thought an ensemble film of that caliber was possible. Not only would work, but work as well as it did. It was incredible. Let me ask you one final question. Okay. All right. Yes or no answer. Just a yes or no answer. No need to elaborate any further. Do you see anything in the future that could subvert any of your expectations for what they're selling? No, I don't. Because I think you and I sat down and we kind of looked up the lineup for the rest of this year. And then you kind of looked at the lineup for what's being proposed or talked about for next year. And I just don't see it. And the reason, part of the reason why I don't see it, and this is longer than a yes or no, but the answer is fucking no, <laughs> is because it's, who's the guy? Who's the guy? Who's the guy? And RDJ was the guy. He ain't no but more. he's done. You know, I guess in recollecting this conversation with Christian, I couldn't help but to feel that audiences don't get enough credit. In my heart of hearts, I truly believe that the moviegoer that's just going to theaters for spectacle and doesn't give a shit about a good story or anything remotely engaging on that front is really few and far between. Try and follow me here for a second, okay? Long time ago, in the year 2015, there was once a little company called Universal Pictures. And they had quite the impressive year in 2015. For my money... They had quite possibly the most impressive year of the decade, and that very much includes the monster numbers that Disney did in 2018. Now, if you look at Disney's numbers in 2018, all those numbers came from things that we were familiar with. They had three MCU movies, Black Panther, Infinity War, and Ant-Man Part 2. They had two hated, but very, very profitable Star Wars movies, which was Solo, a Star Wars story. Wonderful! Which is better than you guys, like, let on. Come on now. And The Last Jedi. Meh. Which was the end of many of your guys' childhoods. They had the sequels to Wreck-It Ralph. Wonderful! And The Incredibles. Great! And they even had a sequel to Mary Poppins that did a lot of money. Good! Now, all of this, okay, is normal Disney fare. All of it is family-friendly, of course. And none of it really poses a risk to anything. Universal, on the other hand, had way more of, let's just say, a diverse selection of things to choose from. Now, they had three of the top 20 grossing films of all time in that year, with the first Minions movie, Wonderful, Jurassic World, Good, and Furious 7. Great! Retrospectively speaking, it's no surprise that all of those movies were the smash hits that they were. 
They had Ted 2. Good! And they had Fifty Shades of Grey. Fucking garbage. Both of which were almost guaranteed to make two to three times more than their actual budget. And then the rest of the hits that they had for that year weren't nearly as massive, okay? But they were very noticeable because the overall gross were like two or three times the actual budget of the film. And to top it all off, they were all R-rated features on top of that. You had Straight Outta Compton. Great! You had Trainwreck. Good! You had Unbroken. Meh. You had Krampus. Good! And you had Everest. Wonderful! All of those movies were financially profitable in a very noticeable way. I remember having a conversation with my friend, we'll call him Trisket, okay? I had a conversation with a man named Trisket about what Universal was doing and he was pretty much brushing off anything that wasn't a massive tentpole hit. He dismissed the importance of profitable smaller films. He didn't see the point of them actually existing. All he saw were numbers. The profitability of a tentpole is of course gonna have a much larger number than something like Everest or Krampus. And to some people who like to call themselves movie fans, all they can still see are numbers in front of their faces as if it's the most important thing. Now, I went on about this in the Avatar episode, so I won't really dig in on that aspect of having money over impact here, but you can go back and listen to that. Trisket had this vision of a tentpole-sized future where tentpole-sized things were being released every single week. And in his mind, the people would be in such anticipation for these tentpole things to come out that everybody would go out and see everything in droves, week after week, and the numbers would just blow up to the moon by the end of the year. I guess his vision might, you know, be a little different for smaller films, for them to just go to a pay service or something if their budget was under $100 million. I don't know. I don't remember that part of the conversation. I know he had a silly idea for the future. I knew it at the time. But I couldn't help but to wonder, what if? What would be the extremes in both the good and the bad for what he envisioned the future should be? Well, the good part about his vision, the thing that was his utopia, was in 2018. In 2018, aside from what Disney did, which I just told you, and what Universal were doing, there were movies out there like The Meg, Meh. Mission Impossible Fallout, Great! Crazy Rich Asians. Great! The first Jumanji movie. Great! Oceans 8. Meh. Bumblebee. Good! The Greatest Showman. Good! Ready Player One. Wonderful! The first Venom movie. Wonderful! A Star is Born. Great! Aquaman. Good! Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Greatness plus greatness equals great greatness. A Quiet Place. Great! And Deadpool fucking 2. Great! All of that. All of that shit was in 2018. It was like every goddamn week from the month of February all the way down until the end of the year, you had something that you saw a million advertisements for, something that cost nine figures to make, something with huge stars, and something that was important to watch unless you just be, you know, out of the loop when it came to online conversations or water cooler banter at work or whatever the fuck. That's why I mentioned in a previous episode that 2018 was the pinnacle of the pre-pandemic box office activity to me. Now, no, I'm not going to factor in the pandemic here in this conversation because that's actually kind of unfair, given that all that shit was an outlier. Like, people who look to 2020 and have it factor in any conversations about how moviegoers actually are these days and, like, how their, 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 their habits of watching movies in 2023... It's, it's just really fucking silly and unnecessary. Anywho. The opposite end of Trisket's utopian vision might 
have to be a situation where movies of that size and stature are released and it just doesn't matter to anybody anymore. Like, the opposite end of his utopia, you gotta ask the question, what does it look like when the audience is outright indifferent to things that used to feel like they were special, these tentpole things? It's like, 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 like metaphorically, right? What happens when you serve lobster to someone for so long that they can't really stand the sight of it? I mean, sure, it still tastes good and it's still appetizing when you're really hungry for it, but it doesn't feel like a luxurious meal anymore. It doesn't feel like an event anymore if you don't eat it on a special occasion or something like that, right? He ain't lying. Well, in 2023, when it came to superhero movies, man, in the United States, The Flash only earned around $55 million during its first three days. And projections for the future are not looking good. Internationally, the movie seems only to have captured around $75 million. Overall, The Flash has only made about $139 million thus far. Fuck me. What, ooh, once this thing gets going in the wrong direction, this is, uh, this is fucking huge. How huge? $55 million in three days. It made three less million dollars than the film that was released the week before The Flash, which was what might have been the 23rd Transformers movie. 55 million is a low enough gross to not only not meet expectations, to not only be the biggest bomb of the summer, but it invites conversations about what's the biggest bomb of the year, and you know what? It does invite conversations about what is the biggest bomb of all time. Now, I mean, that that extreme conversation doesn't involve The Flash. There are films that have made worse profit than The Flash, believe it or not, but in terms of the expectations, including a Super Bowl commercial, which nobody can shut the fuck up about in a, you know, in a positive way, including the return of Michael Keaton as Batman, and so many people in this business overhyping the fuck out of it and calling it one of the greatest movies ever. It's hard pressed to think of something with that much hype that failed that badly. And in fact, a lot of the movies that were released in June of that year, along with The Flash, didn't perform up to expectations that had pretty lofty ones. But hey, that's a conversation for a different episode. Nothing gets approached with the level of cynicism that superhero movies do by the majority of the film-going public nowadays. Personally speaking, I feel that we've hit the wall. Like, we've been served so much mediocrity when it comes to these big-budget flicks. Like, people seem to be outright demanding that these superhero movies are good. Unless after the second week, the drop-off is going to be so fucking massive that it becomes news. So Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has the biggest loss second week drop for any Marvel movie ever. This is a record breaker. Awful, 69.7% drop. Uh, I said they average about 60 odd percent. Anything above that is, yeah, really bad. These here are the historical volatility index limits, which of course our entire trading model relies on pretty fucking heavily. Well, we're now so levered up that once it gets outside of these limits, it gets ugly in a hurry. 2023 is the yin to 2018's yang. And when it comes to superhero movies, situations like The Flash might come along a little bit more often than we tend to think. You know what I mean? At some point, you're going to have to stop using the same methods as you aim for the quotas with these superhero movies. Audiences may be a little bit jaded, they may be a little bit cynical, but we can see you test screening us with some shit that we've seen and felt before. And we're kind of getting tired of it. I want to give a quick shout out to Chris Cedeno. He's out here in Puerto Rico doing big things. You guys met him last season. Chris, please keep your head up. I'll see you soon, man. You'll be back here in due time. My name is Eli. 
Thank you for listening. And you've made it to the next episode.